Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 59 of Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. We are coming to you, as always, from the beautiful surroundings of the Headstuff Podcast Network right here in Dublin. If this is your first time listening, you're very welcome along. This is actually part six of a story, so certainly go back to part one of the ton if this is your first time listening, if not to the very beginning of the fire, of Fireside, all those all those many episodes ago now at this stage, um, and see what we're building up to as we make our course through Irish folklore and mythology. But if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. Please do continue to like and subscribe and leave ratings and comments on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And please follow us on Instagram at Fireside Bard, all one word. It's the best way to find out about me and about find out more about the podcast. And of course, if you really do want to, you can support us on Patreon.com forward slash Fireside Podcast. And we got a new, um, we got a new patron this week. I will get that person's name up now. Um, but thank you so much uh, to the new patron of this podcast. Uh, before we crack into it, what have I been up to? I was in Norway last week, was I? Have I been in the studio since I got back? I have actually, Jesus, I'm back two weeks now. I was over in, in Norway with Celtic Nights, the Irish music show I tour with, which was a beautiful, mythological, very expensive, but stunning, stunning country. Um, but I think I did talk about that. I don't think there's been... A huge amount else since the last time I was in the studio. Uh, it's just back getting settled here in Ireland for uh, the next couple of months I'm around for. And just big plans with the podcast developing it. Um, we're definitely hoping to get another live show coming soon enough. So I'll have more information for that as soon as I do. But in the meantime, we're going to crack right into the episode where we've reached Part 6, the final episode of The Tawn, if you can believe it. The Tawn was one of the main reasons I wanted to start this podcast. I was putting it off for a long time because I wanted to be confident enough at doing this podcast before I tackled the mighty and greatest story of Irish mythology. And it has been quite an undertaking. But the fact that it's six episodes, that's actually a lot fewer than I was expecting to have to do so I'm delighted with that but I'm going to talk more about 
it after the story itself, but here it is, the final part of the tawn. This is part six, Ulster Rises on Fireside. The Tawn, part six, Ulster Rises. Cucullin was weak. He was tired. There was not a clear inch of his body that was not openly wounded. For months he had been single-handedly defending Ulster from the collected armies of Era under Queen Maeve and King Alil. But following the single combat with his beloved foster brother Ferdia, in which Cucullin was forced to use the gay Bulga to win, the Hound of Ulster was alive, but he could take no more. When Cucullin had been weary before, his father of the Tua de Danan, Lu Lavada, had come to visit and heal him. But now, at this late stage of the Thorn, Lu could help no more. But even though all the men of Ulster still sat in their birthing pangs unable to fight, Cucullin's mortal father, Suadam, heard his son's cries. Suadam rose and went to find his boy on the front line of battle. There he found his charioteer leg tending to the wounds of the crumbled mound of flesh and blood that was his son. Cucullin took no pleasure in seeing his father. What are you doing here? I heard the cries of my son. You are never too old to need the care of a parent. Leave now, father. If you are slain, I am too weak to avenge you. There must be something I can do, son. There is. Go to the king. Tell the Red Branch Knights of Ulster it is time to avenge me. No one in Ulster moved before King Conchobar MacNassa. The birth pangs had arisen in the first place because Conchobar had forced Maka of the Morrigan to a chariot race while she was heavily pregnant. So while the king felt the pangs, all of Ulster felt the pangs. But Cuchulain's father, Suadam, left his son in the care of Laig and went to Eamon Maka to the court of Conchobar. There he said, This army of four provinces has ravaged our land for too long. All while we sit here and my son is the only one defending Ulster. But the hound is weak. He will not survive another fight with a whelp, never mind the remaining armies of Queen Maeve. And let us not forget Fergus MacRoke our own former Ulster king and his exiled knights fight for the invaders. We have been laid low for too long. We must rise from the birth pangs and join the fight. But Suadam's impassioned words fell on empty ears. Kunkabar agreed with all he said, but he was still crippled. So Suadam began to frantically ride around Ulster, speaking to anyone who would listen. He became like a street preacher, but in his haste, Suadam tripped over a shield and the scallop edge sliced his head clean from his neck. As the blood began to soak the earth, the eyes continued to blink. And indeed, when the body had been discovered, the head of Suadam was brought back before Conchobar MacNassa. When the king saw the head, he wept for the dead husband of his own sister, but was then horrified when the severed head began to speak. Ulster men, you must rise from your pangs and go to Cucullin's aid. Even in death, Suadam was fighting to defend his son. This was the catalyst. 
King Conkobar Magnassa rose and said, I have been absent. I have been idle. I don't know which is worse. I sit in the pangs of a childbirth I will never know the joyful relief of, while my province is burned and bloodied. And all for nothing. For a bull. And only my young nephew has stood between us and defeat. Well, no longer. I will win this battle, and I will beat the armies of Era back until every cow has been returned to its field, and every woman and child has returned home. Conkobar first went to the bedrooms of each of his sons. He put his hand on their heads and said, Rise. And this spread across the province like a dry brush wildfire. King Conkobar had risen. Ulster was in the fight. The next morning, Queen Maeve and King Alil were awoken in their tents to the rumble of marching and drums. They emerged and sought out Fergus MacRoke to see what was happening. Fergus looked grave, but quite matter-of-factly said, The Ulster men have risen from their pangs. There is no army we can amass that can defeat the Red Branch Knights when they are in their fury. Queen Maeve was known as a fierce warrior, but her involvement in this war which she had started had thus far been purely a strategic one. But now the Queen said, Arm everyone still breathing. I will lead our armies today. The final battle has come. When Cucullan awoke, coughing and spluttering from his still gaping wounds, he looked out over the hill he rested on, but his vision was a blur. He thought he was either dead or hallucinating. He had never seen so many warriors in his field of vision, tens of thousands coming against tens of thousands, and then he realized what was happening. He leapt to his feet. Ulster has answered the call! But Cucullan soon collapsed again. You are still too weak to fight, Cucullan, said his charioteer leg. You have done more for Ulster than anyone living or dead. Let your fellow province men fight this one for you. Cucullan hated the idea of this, but he knew leg was right. The armies clashed. Queen Maeve's numbers were greater. Even having lost so many in the ongoing fight against Cucullan, she still had the might of four provinces on her side. And the queen was ferocious in battle. Wielding blades in both hands, she had an unparalleled agility and cleaved her way through the battlefield with a thirst for blood. But Ulster's numbers were not feeble. And what's more, they were vengeful. This gave them all twice the adrenaline, faith and strength of Maeve's soldiers. But before they could even face the armies of Ulster... Maeve's forces started to collapse in on themselves like a neutron star. The enchanting daughter of Maeve and Alil, Finnabar, who had been offered up like a starter to Ferdia, Fergus, and just about every warrior who faced Cucullan, truly loved only one man. The Ulster warrior, Roca Macfathamon. Having been used by her mother to lead so many brave men to their deaths, Finnabar finally spoke to Maeve. Mother, my love, Roca, is riding to join the battle. I have loved him and only him as long as I can remember. Let me go to him, please. I can convince him to stay out of this fight. Maeve was aware of Roca Macfathamon and the troop he was head of, so she agreed to let Finnabar go to her love. Heavily guarded by fifty shields, the young Connacht princess made her way across the battlefield in search of Roca. Although... This defiant act of true love did not go unnoticed. 
For there were seven kings of Munster who were fighting for Queen Maeve who watched Finnabar go. One said, That girl goes to seek her true love when it was only with the promise of her hand in marriage that led me to join this fight. Me too, said another. Do you think I care about Maeve's cow hunt? I want a wife. Each of the seven Munster kings realized they had all been deceived and all offered Finnabar's hand. They went to Alil, who said, Our intentions were true. It was unlikely most of you would survive. It was a game of odds that Finnabar would be given to the survivor. The Munster kings were appalled by this answer, and they drew swords then and there. The remaining sons of Alil and Maeve defended their father, and there, on that site, seven hundred of Maeve's forces fell by Connacht hands. When Finnabar heard of the further death that was happening on her behalf, the young girl's heart could take it no more. Finnabar dropped dead of the shame. One who had not joined the fight yet was Fergus McRoke. He had known this day would come sooner or later, but found he just couldn't take up arms against his fellow Ulster men. And in any case, he had no sword. When Alil had discovered that his wife Maeve had taken Fergus on as a lover, he had been astonishingly understanding, acknowledging that it was surely a tactic of Maeve's to ensure the questionable loyalty of the former Ulster king. But Alil was also human, and he had had his messenger steal Fergus's sword as a symbolic payback of sorts. When Fergus had gone to face Cúchulain in single combat, he had gone unarmed, refusing to fight his own. But on that day, he asked Cúchulain to yield to him, which Cúchulain did, providing that when they next met, Fergus would yield to Cúchulain. Now that time was coming back around, and Fergus was delighted to see that his sword was still missing. If I had my sword, I would join the fight today. Alil heard this, and finally brought the former Ulster king back his weapon. I know you slept with my wife. I can forgive that. This is war. But now you must earn what you have taken from me. So take back your weapon and soak it in Ulster blood. With a heavy heart, Fergus took his sword from Alil and arming himself went into battle. A hundred Ulster men fell in his first attack. He knew each of them and so knew each of their weaknesses. No one could match the ferocity of Fergus MacRoke, which he dealt out with tears in his eyes. It was not long before Cormac, the son of King Conchobar MacNassa, found his father and said, Father, Fergus MacRoke has entered the fray. Conchobar sought out Fergus, who with his broadsword gripped in both hands was swinging it in every direction. It soon came down hard on Conchobar's shield, and the sound echoed so that Cúchulain could hear it on the distant hill. Whose shield is that? asked Fergus. A better Ulster man than you, cried Conchobar. I never should have given you my throne. I took your throne. Well now, I shall take it back. And with his full strength and flexibility, Fergus bent back his sword high over his head and prepared to strike. When Cormac, son of the king, came behind Fergus and grabbed his hand. Please, friend Fergus, the pride of Ulster has not been lost yet. There is no shame here. Aim your anger elsewhere. 
The words got into Fergus's head. He turned away from Kunkabar, and with a shout and three great swings, Fergus MacRoke cut the tops off three mountains. Witnessing this distant sight, Cú Cullen decided he had sat the battle out long enough. Patch up what you can, Lake. Fergus is too fierce an opponent. I'm needed. You're too weak. You'll die. So be it. And the battered and bloodied Cú Cullen entered the battlefield and sought out Fergus. Friend Fergus! Fergus was shocked to see Cú Cullen. When I didn't see you on the battlefield, I feared the worst. I am alive. Just about. And you asked me once to yield to you. Well now, I ask you to yield to me. Well, isn't this poetic? I could easily cut you down in the state you're in now. But so too could you have killed me before at full health. It is done. I will leave this battle. And Fergus MacRoke called for all of his exiled Ulster warriors to retreat from the battle. From there, it was a domino effect. The Galean, the remaining Munster kings, all except the army of the province of Connacht itself, all began to desert the battle. Once they saw Fergus leave, their faith in the cause was lost. In the chaos, Cú Cullen sought out Queen Maeve. He did not want the one who had caused all this carnage to escape with her life. But when he came upon Maeve, she was alone and naked and relieving herself. The mighty Queen Maeve, the bane of era, the scourge of Munster. But even at her most vulnerable, Maeve was cunning. After a war of honour, you would not dare dishonour yourself by killing me at a time like this. She had him there. I would love to cut off your head and drag your body round every corner of this island. But you were right. I could not kill someone while they are pissing like a newborn baby. Leave my province and never come back. And Maeve did leave. But not before she got the thing she had come all this way for. In the panic and destruction, and while Ulster was busy congratulating itself, the remaining army of Connacht found Duncuna, the brown bull of Cooley. It took over a hundred soldiers to bind him, but eventually they were able to herd and smuggle the mighty beast out of Ulster and back to Connacht. This entire war had been started because Queen Maeve had discovered that her husband Alil was richer than her by exactly one bull, Finn Bannock, the mighty white-horned bull of Connacht. With Duncuna in her possession, at last Maeve and Alil were equals. She mourned her lost armies and children, but she found a solace in the fact that she had got what she had went to Ulster to get. Duncuna was put in the same field as Finn Bonnock to see which one was the better bull. Now, it's well known, even if you're not a cattle farmer, you should never put two bulls in the same field. Never mind two bulls the size of bungalows, much less two bulls that were actually the souls of two fairy pig keepers who had been fighting each other in every conceivable form for hundreds of years. Finn Bannock and Duncuna were actually rucked and fruk, and they had reached their final forms. They were face to face again, and it was time to end it. 
the two bulls charged each other, and the clashing of their horns echoed as thunder across the island. Bystanders ran in fear, so that they may not be trampled in the ensuing carnage. But the next day, when some dared to poke their heads back out of their houses, all they could see was entrails littered across the conic landscape, and Duncuna standing. The brown bull of Cooley stood with the blood and organs of his gored dead rival all over his body. His victory won, Duncuna left Connacht, depositing pieces of Finbanach along the way, places that were named for the entrails left there. Eventually, the tired bull returned to his hill of Cooley. He laid down in the grass and died. And on Thorn Bocuna, the cattle raid of Cooley, the greatest and bloodiest war this island has ever known, was finally ended. To be continued. Oh wow, I am wrecked. <laughs> and there it is. That is the end of the thorn. Uh, on Fireside, I hope you enjoyed it. That is, that's the end of the thorn. That's six episodes. That's not bad, to be fair. There was 14 chapters in Thomas Kinsella's novel-length adaptation of the thorn, which has been my gospel on this. So I thought if I got two chapters per episode, I'd average well. So I was aiming for seven, and I got it in six, so I'm delighted with that. And I felt... I'm happy enough now with the the detail I went into and how I was able to form enough of my own version of this without just totally distancing myself from the source material but it's it's quite an ending to it isn't it there's there's a few elements to it um but first and foremost i suppose you might be thinking like it's not quite an anticlimax but there certainly isn't the kind of uh grim satisfaction you'd be expecting at the end of it. You'd surely be expecting it to be more of an outright victory where Queen Maeve just outright wins or King Conquebar just outright wins. But to be fair, real battles are very rarely like that. And even the thing that's most comparable to the Tawn, it's known as the Irish Iliad, so the Battle of Troy. The Battle of Troy ends in quite a similar way as well. I mean the Trojans lose, the Greeks win, um, and Helen of Troy, who it was all fought over, she goes back to live with Menelaus. Like, it doesn't have, certainly not even nearly as many deaths as the movie Troy would portray, which kind of, we have, it's definitely the Hollywood image and the Hollywood mindset that we all have, where we look for stories to be wrapped up in more of a neat little package. Um but what we have here is, to be fair, a much more realistic end to what has been a very fabled battle. You have, most interestingly, I think, of course, is that Cucullin doesn't really fight in this final battle. He is so mortally wounded and just defeated from having to have killed Ferdia in the last episode that he cannot fight anymore. Um, and if any of you out there are familiar with the very famous statue of Cucullin tied up against a rock um, knowing he's going to die. It is thought that the soldiers would not face 
uh, would not charge this hill because they saw Cú Chulainn standing on it, not realising that he was dead. This very famous image of Cú Chulainn, which is a statue in the GPO in Dublin, because this image was adopted by Irish Republicans in the early 20th century. That is not part of the town, which is something that I certainly thought and many people do think. That's from a later story because, of course, we're finished the town, but we're not finished the Ulster cycle, not yet. Just as the stories we were doing before these six episodes were part of the Ulster cycle as well. The town is one big story, but it is still just one story part of the Ulster cycle, which is the most well-preserved of all of the four Irish cycles, which is why, I suppose, is the main reason it's considered the best is because there's the most um, sources for it and the stories are the most intact. But you have Cucullin sitting this one out and his mortal father, we had his magical father, Lou, appear to him and heal him for the three days before. But now we have Suadam, who we haven't really met a huge amount um, Cucullin's mortal father we have him coming to his son's aid and making the knights of Ulster finally rise from their pangs the rising from the pangs is an interesting one, they've been cursed by these to feel these pains of childbirth um, since since the first episode of the Ulster cycle and there isn't really a kind of magical way in some versions the the pangs are only supposed to last nine days and it is just on the ninth day that Ulster rises. So Cucullin is only fighting for nine days. But that just doesn't check out with me at all with the amount of single combat and the amount of war and battle that is described in the texts. It definitely, and even in, I was delighted that Kinsler's version did acknowledge the number three months. That's how long he says the battle. And that seems like a much better number for me with the amount of carnage that ensues rather than it just being this nine-day campaign that Cucullin fights. And I like this image of it really all being about Conquabar when it comes to the birth pangs. He's the one who was cursed by Maka in the first place and the rest of his province is cursed because of him. But that it almost in the end becomes a more psychological thing that Suadam rises because he hears the cries of his son and then he goes to Conquabar. And it is only with Suadam's dead head still saying, how good is that as well? Suadam having his head severed off with a scalloped edge shield. That's a direct lift from Kinsler's text. And that is one of the best words. It's almost onomatopoeic, like a scallop edge. That's how sharp it is. Slices his head clean off and his dead head still warning Ulster to go into the fight. And that is what makes Kunkabar rise and like, take the pain and that the courage of their king finally fighting for their province that's what spreads across all of Ulster and that's what leads them into the battle I was I was quite satisfied with that um, and I hope you were too and then it's kind of an open and shut case I mean uh, the even though Queen Maeve has such a mighty army Ulster coming into the fight with such blood in their eyes uh, is a different story and it is only Fergus McRoke who is the Ulster, the Ulster man himself. It's only him fighting it who is kind of Connacht's last chance. And then Cucullin goes in and and asks Fergus to repay the debt that is owed to him when Fergus asks Cucullin to yield to him. And so 
Fergus yields to Cucullin, and once he draws away, it just all falls apart. So that would be one thing, but then Maeve still gets the bull. After all that, she still finds Don Kuna and still brings him back. And But then once the bull is back, the episode before we started the thon, the quarrel of the pig keepers, that finally came back around, where we had Rucht and Frick, who had fought as dragons and as stallions and as warriors and as maggots and everything fighting each other over the over the years, over the decades and centuries, and had finally become taken the form of these two bulls. They finally face each other again. And Don Kuna defeats Finn Bannock and rips him apart and there's a huge amount, as I've said many times, there's there's way too many details in terms of place names in, in the town particularly. It's like, this is named this, this person's fort, this person's hill. And But the trail of the town is, has all of these places where Finn Bannock's uh, remains are supposed to have been left as they fell off Duncuna's body as he made his way back to Cooley. So in the end, if we, in the end, Maeve and Aliel are kind of square again because now neither of them has a bull, and so there's no. It's almost a bit no harm, no foul because that is the end. There's no retribution from Ulster. That is just the war ended. Everyone is just not contented, but they're just everyone's just leaving it because unfortunately sometimes that is what war is like. But it is nice that it kind of begins and ends with the bulls. Because the bulls actually, considering it's called the Cattle Raid of Cooley, there's not a huge amount about the bulls in it. But it does end with this fight between these two former fairy pig keepers. Um, and poor Finnebar as well. Finnebar hasn't got a huge amount of luck in. She's she's not a major character in this story, but she is a crucial one, certainly, in in her being offered up by her mother to all of these warriors to get them into this fight, to get them to fight Cú Cullen and as she goes to find. But I really wanted to include that. I loved that little detail. That was actually from an earlier part, but I just put it into the final battle. I loved this image of Finnebar actually having a true love and this kind of Romeo and Juliet, Tristan and Isolde, uh, just minor note in the middle of all this chaos and all of the rest of... Maeve's armies realising that they have all been offered Finnebar's hand and that starting to rout the Connacht forces from the inside out so that they're almost falling apart, they're collapsing in on themselves before Ulster can even defeat them. But yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot in it and I hope it didn't go too fast, I hope there's enough detail, I hope you don't think there's too many, maybe, I hope you don't feel it's too convoluted. But as always, let me know if you have any thoughts. It's been great. I've been getting more and more messages over the past couple of weeks. And um, I've, I think I'm up to date on them all now at this stage. Uh, but thank you for everyone who messaged me and for your patience and waiting for your reply. If you do message me, I promise I will get back to you. I am not so inundated that I cannot reply to all messages at this stage. Um, and I love, I love, love reading them. I love people telling me where like where they listen to it how they discovered it what they like i i love i love that it, it spurs me on to keep going with the podcast and me keep making it better and better so thank you for that so i'm going to wrap it up there but that is the ton 
That is the ton, but that is not the rest of the Ulster cycle. We still have a few more stories to go. But next week, we are going to do a folk tale again. My God, it seems like it's been so long. The The habit of, uh, or the routine of going folktale myth, folktale myth, that really did work. And I'm happy I just did the ton altogether because I think it needed that focus. But I've really missed doing the folktales so I'm really looking forward to getting back into something completely different next week before we return to the Ulster cycle to wrap up the last few bits to hear about the rest of the story of Cucullin and his compatriots and rivals so thank you so much uh, to everyone here at Headstuff Paddy and Alan for continuing to support me thank you to Jamie my editor for continuing to produce this podcast thank you all so much for listening follow me at, on Instagram at Fireside Bard. Uh, support the patreon.com forward slash fireside podcast and I will see you all next time you will hear me round the fireside thank you and goodbye this podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network